my name is Joshua Edward Wright. I was imprisoned in Portland, Oregon, United States for 50 months. And during that time, I realized that not a lot of people know what we go through. So what I will be offering is personal narrative in the hope that the listener will be able to realize the validity of the statement that no human being belongs in a cage. Welcome. This is another episode of the podcast, The Exiled Voice. I'm here with a friend I did time with, Evelyn. Evelyn, you want to introduce yourself? My name is Evelyn. I was previously incarcerated four times in state of Oregon prison. Um, The first time was a 13-month sentence. The second time was a 26-month sentence. The third time was a 53-month sentence, and the last time was a 96-month sentence. I ended up serving less time on all of them for good time, and I have now recently been out for a little over a month. Absolutely. Thank you so much for being here. And if you want to take us through uh, your arrest, any arrest, um, you know, how that process was for you, and later we'll talk about how going into prison was for you. So... I was battling with drug addiction and homelessness. I was just kind of doing what I had to do to survive and feed an addiction and feed myself and keep myself clothed and housed. And in that process, I was committing crimes to do it. I was already on parole, essentially. I was getting arrested for parole violations. Then charges would start popping up from some of the crimes I committed. The last arrest was at a Walmart where I was basically committing fraud to get money. I got arrested. I went to Multnomah County Jail. I had warrants out of Marion County Jail and also Clackamas County Jail for a bunch of different like crimes that I had done. I mean, I've had arrests that have been peaceful and I've had arrests that have been not so peaceful in my past. But this particular one was... I mean, I guess as easy as it could get for somebody that gets arrested. So I went to Multnomah County Jail. I spent probably a month and a half there trying to like compound all the charges together from every county. Marion County did not want to cooperate and they did not want to have anything to do with a global plea deal, which is like where all the counties put all the charges together and then sentence you one time for all of it. Marion County wanted nothing to do with that. So I ended up getting 36 months between Clackamas and Multnomah counties. And then I was transferred to Clackamas County after about a month and a half. So let me back up to Multnomah County because there was some like, you know I mean? Like some like sexual harassment type stuff that happened when I was working in there that I, somebody else had reported and I, it was by one of the staff members that was there. Somebody else reported it. And once I got to Marion County, I had an officer come and talk to me about it. And I kind of just brushed it under the table because I didn't know how many times I'd be in that jail again. So I didn't want to have too many problems. I went to Marion County, or I mean, excuse me, I went to Clackamas County for a week to sign the plea deal for them and then transferred to Marion County. Once I got to Marion County, I was, since I was already like Department of Correction custody, I had um, like gone to intake, done my intake there, and then um, went to Marion County. And since I was already basically state property at that point, in Marion County Jail, I was placed on 23-hour lockdown. 
because I was maximum custody because I was already awarded the state. I was on 23 hour lockdown. I was in there with people like I hadn't started my transition yet, but I was still, you know, I mean, I was still a gay boy and like feminine and like, you know, and so there was like people that I lived with that just like were standoffish to me. A lot of the officers there like already knew me for a long time. And so they were kind of dicks to me. Um, after I got sentenced there and signed my plea deal, which was for 60 months on top of the 36 months that I had gotten from Clackamas and Multnomah County, I went back to intake and started my intake process. Which prisons did you go to in this most recent set? And how long were you at each one? Okay, so this set, I went to Coffee Creek for intake. Then I went to Snake River for about four and a half years. And then I went to Columbia River for two and a half years. At Snake River, how was, you know, the environment, the atmosphere? What did you go through? You Anything you want to share about Snake River and then we'll go to Columbia River? Let me just tell you, like, kind of the way I do my time to make myself, like, comfortable and to make sure I'm, like, safe and, like, everything's good. And, and not only that, but, like, have companionship. I pretty much just find a guy or, you know what I mean, like, get together in a relationship with a guy and then... You know, I mean, that's kind of the person that I'm always with. That's who I do everything with. That's my, like, who I confide in. You know what I mean? Like, that's my best friend, basically, throughout. And also in a relationship. So I was at Snake River. You know what I mean? Like, when I first got there, I was kind of quiet because it's kind of treacherous out there sometimes. You know what I mean? Especially for a gay person or a trans person. It's more accepting now, but just, like, the stigma that's put on it is you know, by a lot of the like gang members and by a lot of the people that are just that follow the prison politics so closely, like were put into a substandard group. Because of that, I just kind of kept to myself for the first few weeks and kind of just observed everything and just saw, saw how everything was going. Luckily, like, because I had been down so many times before, like, people already knew me, they respected me, I knew how to like maneuver myself in a way that had gained respect from people and from the right people in that setting. So that way I didn't have any problems. I was originally put into a cell straight off the, you know I mean? Straight off the bus. My first day there, I was put into a cell with a skinhead from Washington. Luckily, there was a couple people that were on my unit that were gang members that like knew me and had respect for me and that I had like done time with before. And so they kind of vouched for me to this person said, hey, my name was Everett at the time. So, you know, I mean, it was like, hey, Everett's cool. You ain't going to have no problem. Like, da, 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 da. He didn't try to kick me out of the cell. He didn't try to fight me. He didn't try to like, you know, he didn't have any bullshit with me. And I, and on the other hand, I respected his politics and I respected where he was at with things. And he was cool with me. Like, we were really cool. We became good. We became friends. And also, because of that respect for him and his respect for me for not doing any harm to me or being disrespectful or or mean to me, I, you know, I mean, had offered to, like, move out within a week and find a place, you know I mean, like, figure out how to do that. And, like, and so I did that, you know what I mean? And and, um, even earned me more respect with people because I did that. After about a month, there was a guy there he was the biggest guy on the unit, six foot seven, like 240 pounds, all muscle, that had transferred from another state. And he 
was like basically the most respected person on that whole entire unit. And he approached me about being friends and this and that. And then within a couple, within like another month, this person and I, we tried to move in together. We got a lot of backlash just because of me being gay and they didn't know about him being gay or bi, you know what I mean? And so they just assumed that there was like some crazy shit going on that he was trying to extort me or that he was doing this or that. They just, the cops just assumed that stuff was going on. They put him in the hole for it. And he didn't do anything. Like, neither one of us did anything wrong. Like, he got put in the hole. He got moved to a whole nother complex, like a whole nother section of the prison to where we couldn't even be around each other. And it took us, like, two months before we could find the right staff member to be able to move in together. And we ended up, once we did that, we ended up living together for, like, three and a half years. Or four years. Four years we ended up living together. In that same respect, in that same respect, like, we showed them that that could be done because they eventually started realizing that we were in a relationship, even though we couldn't tell them that, you know I mean? We couldn't like say, Hey, we're in a relationship. They knew we were in a relationship, but we also showed like, Hey, this is a thing that can work if you allow this to happen. You know what I mean? And I started my transition within that time. I was like maybe six months into my transition and, um, some drama, some relationship drama happened, blah, blah, blah. That doesn't need to be disclosed. But um, I found out I was minimum custody and I was transferred to Columbia River. And once I got to Columbia River, things were a lot different there because geographically, like Snake River is close to Idaho, very right wing, very conservative. You know what I mean? You have trans people out there in the prison, all walks of life. But you have the people that are working there living in these small rural towns that they do not believe in the type of people that we are. Like, they think it's wrong. They think it's disgusting. They were going to strike just because we were being allowed to transition in prison. Like, because we were being given hormone therapy, because we were being given makeup, because, you know what I mean? Like, because we were able to have access to the things that made us comfortable for our transition. But when I got to Columbia River, it was almost like a breath of fresh air because they were so accommodating towards me. Staff called me by my proper pronouns. They called me by my proper name. And not only that, but like you were at Columbia River with me. And so you know the presence that I had when I was at Columbia River. Like I owned that place, but I earned my position in that place. I earned the position that I had by basically being an activist for my people, by basically being the voice for my people and showing that you know what? Trans people are not everything you think they are. They're not everything that people think they are. And I changed a lot of minds of staff. I changed a lot of minds of inmates. I changed a lot of minds of volunteers, like people coming in, they respected me. They, you know what I mean? And they started respecting other trans people that were there because of that and other LGBT people because of that. Even though I was locked up, and like, yeah, there were some shitty things that happened to me while I was at Columbia River. I was able to, to persist through them, you know what I mean? And persevere through them and come out on top when I left that place. Because I carried myself in such a way that was just, people could not help but respect me. Because I, I respected them and I respected their views and I respected their voices and stuff. So Columbia River was actually a really powerful experience for me. For a bit of a backstory, uh, what Evelyn is mentioning, the gender and sexuality class, 
I co-created with a friend of mine named Jared, um, or was going by Jared at the time. And for the reasons that Evelyn just talks, talked about, I put her in charge of the gender and sexuality class when I had to be released. And, and because you mentioned relationships, uh, we get in trouble for like hugging. Like we're not even supposed to hug each other. You know, even handshakes can be seen as something bad in that environment, especially if you're, you're queer or trans, uh, because the guards know that stuff and they look out for that stuff. We can be punished for, you know, being close with each other, being intimate with each other, um, even caring about one another. Like I said, just a simple hug. So if you want to talk about that. Yeah, we would be put in segregation then be put on lock, and then we would be fined money just for having an intimate relationship with somebody. My husband and I were put into segregation for touching each other, and we weren't touching each other inappropriately. We were touching each other. Engaged couples should touch each other, you know what I mean? Like, but also, Columbia River and the Department of Corrections allowed us to get married there. Columbia River loved it. Like a lot of the administration and staff there loved it. And it just turned into, it was something that ended up being really powerful for the institution, more than me, actually. <laughs> That's a whole nother story. Evelyn mentioned LOP. And for the audience, LOP is an acronym. It means loss of privilege. And what that means is you are confined to your bunk for seven to 14 days straight and sometimes find. 50 to 250 dollars and you have to ask permission for things like use the bathroom or to leave your bunk area at all we have to ask to get water we have to ask to make something to eat we have to ask to do anything can't use the phone can't use video visits can't do anything like i'd love to talk now about your release you know how that went for you if you'd want to share that my release was the best day of my life because i was able to release finally as my true self and be out in the world as my true self, my authentic self. I'm not going to even try to lie and say that I don't owe a big part of that to the Department of Corrections. That's probably one of the only things they did right was allow me and other trans people to have that opportunity to transition and become our authentic selves to come out into the world and be successful. But I had a whole outfit planned. (laughs) I had a whole entire look planned, of course. And I didn't get to walk out of my outfit because of the coronavirus. We weren't able to get dress outs in. So I changed right in the car. (laughs) Um, And it was everything. It was three of my best friends picked me up. Uh, We went out to breakfast. One of the administrators at the institution actually connected me with an outside LGBT group, which helped me fundraise money and walk out with about $1,500. So that was crucial for me. It was really kind of bittersweet because some of the relationships that I made there, I had to leave behind, you know, even with some of the staff, there was a couple staff members that I'd become very close with and um, they came and said goodbye to me and even gave me hugs and, um, you know, I mean, told me good luck and, you know, all that great stuff, you know, and that's not something that's normal. Um, That's not a normal thing that happens. So it was very powerful. And it let me know like the impact that I had while I was there, which made me feel really good. Since I've been out, I have, I'm on my second job. I um, have, you know, two days out, I had my own car. I'm staying in clean the sober living. I'm in treatment. I am doing everything that I have to do to make sure that I never go back because it's not ever an experience that I feel like I could deal with again. 
And so I'm just really doing my best to bring that the same level of my behavior that was in there. I'm trying to bring out here and, um, and really just have an impact on the world right now and myself. So I really appreciate you being on. Is there any last words you want to say or anything you want to leave us with? Um, I just, you know, I mean, I really appreciate the fact that you asked me to do this and, um, you know, I appreciate that you thought about me and, um, I'm grateful for the chance to be able to have my voice heard. That's about it. I want to thank Evelyn and everyone out there listening. We'll see you next time.